You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. Welcome back to another episode where we're talking about something I haven't really talked about too much. I think there's maybe been a couple episodes on this, but, but this one, we go really deep into this idea of the anxious attachment. And if you're listening to this and you've had an anxious attachment, well, you've come to the right place because you're going to learn all about what that means. You'll even learn some tips about how to fix it and just understand more of what's going on. If you're listening to this and you have no idea what that is, but it's sounding like you may relate to it, like, wait, I think I've been attached to a girl and felt anxious. Well, again, you've, you've really come to the right place because everything that we're talking about here is about the attachment styles that one has to someone else in relation to the relationship. That's a funny sentence, relation to the relationship. But yes, that's what it is. How you feel about the relationship in terms of feeling secure, attached, or avoidant, the three different attachment styles. And I have a great guest on. Her name is Gina Lovato. And Gina is a specialist when it comes to anxious attachment styles. Now, it I don't know what the data is on this, but it seems to be that for this, it, it's more of an issue with females. Again, this is more of an opinion than a fact as I say that, but I just haven't heard many people talk about it or helped men with it, which is a shame because I know that people do have that and that it has been an issue for many guys having an anxious attachment. So anyway, my point is she works with women, but there's really not a big difference. An anxious attachment is an anxious attachment. So she's here to now shed some light on this for you the dude who might be having that issue. And maybe you're listening to this and you, you just like to listen to the episodes and you've never dealt with this before. Well, this is still going to be good insight for you because you're going to learn again what it means to be attached. And then you'll also learn what maybe your attachment is. By the way, you can hear my voice is very scratchy. No, I'm not sick. I've just been talking a lot all day and all the talking sometimes does this to me. I should probably uh, drink a little bit more water. Anyway, we talked to Gina today and she's got some really awesome things to say and you're going to enjoy it. If you feel that you need help with meeting women and you feel, well, I don't even have an anxious attachment. None of this seems to be an issue, but uh, I, I, there is an issue. I can't meet women and I don't know how to do it. Well, you can apply for coaching. We can work together. I can help you. I can put you in a whole program that works with me or another coach of mine where you're going to be learning how to meet women online and in person, the two best ways to meet women. And then by the time you finish this podcast episode, you're going to hopefully have some ways to deal with any kind of anxious attachment if it does come up with the women that you meet. So it's a it's a win-win. Go to coachedbytrip.com today if you need help with anything related to meeting and attracting women. You'll learn from the testimonials that are real and on the page that Coaching does work. Coaching is great in all areas. I feel like everyone should be getting coaching in every area of their life that they want to succeed in because you need to get help. You can't always do it on your own. There is a lot of work to be done and a lot of information out there that you, you might not know how to put together. So that's what coaching does. It gives you the exact information custom to your problem and we can help you. So go to coachedbytrip.com and you might want to take notes here because you're going to learn a lot about Attachment Styles with Gina. Let's get into it right now. Hey, Gina, how's it going? Good to have you on the podcast today. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. So let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about what you do because this is very interesting. I've never had anyone on here before that really specializes in what you specialize in. So tell the guys exactly what it is that you do specialize in. 
So I am a dating and relationship coach. I specialize in attachment styles. So mostly I work with people who identify as having an anxious attachment style. You know, to give you a little brief (laughs) introduction basically means that you're that person that tends to be preoccupied when you like someone. If you like someone new, let's say, you know, in the first one through three dates you've been on, you, uh, all of a sudden like them too much, right? You're really worried about doing the wrong thing. You're watching your text messages, right? It's sort of living with that sixth sense for danger. Uh, You're afraid that, (laughs) you're afraid of abandonment. You're afraid of rejection, right? So just having high anxiety in the dating or even relationship process. Why does this happen? That's a great question. So the theory, attachment theory is a theory being studied. And what they believe is that it has to do with childhood origins, right? So it has a lot to do with maybe our parents, maybe our family dynamics, and sort of our attachment styles get formed really early on. A lot of times they have to do with our initial attachment that we've developed with people that are supposed to be taking care of us. So, you know, usually what has been decided is if you have an anxious attachment, usually your caregivers were probably inconsistent, right? You didn't know if they were going to be available for you physically, emotionally, or if they weren't. And so that's how we get this sort of hypervigilance that translates later on into romantic relationships where I'm constantly, I don't know if you're going to be available for me or not. And I'm constantly looking for signs of that. So when you're working with people, who are usually coming to you, men or women? It's usually women. And why, why do you think that is? I mean, do, do men have this issue too? Do they have the issue of having an anxious attachment style? They do. I think, I think men in general tend to be a little bit maybe more reserved, right? Maybe they're not as comfortable asking for help or maybe asking help from a woman maybe. Um, I think that we're sort of in this culture of... Um, sort of F-boy culture, right? So a lot of times we get stuck in the dynamic of thinking that it's just women that are sort of finding these unavailable men when really men probably have the same thing. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of men who identify as liking someone that was unavailable to them for whatever reason. So I'm not exactly sure. It's maybe just my style as well that I usually tend to work with women. Okay. Okay. Got it. Would you ever work with a guy? Let's say a guy reached out to you from listening to this podcast and they said, well, I have an anxious attachment style based on what you're saying here. You'd help them? Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, that's good to know. So, I mean, anyone can have it. Do you think, is it statistically that more women have that, is what you're saying, or? I don't think it's it's gender specific. The last time I looked at numbers, I really do think it's sort of, it's outside of gender. You know, this, it doesn't really have to do with gender. It has a lot more to do with sort of learned behavior and environmental experiences. And it doesn't have to just be about, you know, your family members. You can have, you probably, you, I've had a client who had, she's like, I have amazing parents. She's like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's wrong. My parents are great. So it can also just be like, you know, I think that same person was engaged for a while and found out that they cheated, right? So it can be some sort of traumatic experience or heartbreak that can kind of, you know, cause you to be a little bit more timid or anxious in the future. And so where would it come from then if you have that, but it didn't stem from something with childhood? Uh, It could be really early on, like, uh, you know, say you had (laughs) a crush on someone when you were 16, right? Um, All of that stuff affects us, I believe. So it could be 
early romantic relationships, maybe like a really big betrayal by somebody, or even like I was saying, this person was a little bit older. She was in her twenties when she was engaged, but you know, that was a pretty big betrayal. And I think that it sort of lingered on. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, we are sponges as children, right? So uh, it can definitely hit us there. And, and even in your in your older age, it's, you know, like a form of PTSD, right? So if something happens that's traumatic to you, I, I don't know, I, I'm not a psychologist, but just from what I believe or what I've maybe heard is that trauma could happen on, you know, anywhere from a small level to a, to a big level, uh, even though the word trauma kind of has that connotation of, oh, this is like really intense. I feel like, yeah, you can still have a little bit of a traumatic experience from past relationships. Do you believe in that? Even if you're like in your 20s, 30s, whatever. Oh, yes. <laughs> I definitely believe that. You know, most of my more, tra- I, I've, I believe, uh, I also identify as a love addict. That's a separate issue, but also intertwining. You know, and so I, I identify as having romantic relationships really early on that were unrequited, right? That's like a really big telltale sign for me in my future, right? That I was, you know, 16 years old and every boy that I had a crush on didn't really want to be with me, right? But also as time went on, my really most dramatic, traumatic romantic experiences were in my 20s. And so now I'm in my early 30s having to sort of, uh, in my personal life, deal with those things and sort of have a new experience and and learn what a healthy relationship is. Would you feel comfortable sharing any of those experiences you had in your earlier 20s so we can kind of understand what that is and maybe guys can relate to that? Totally. Um, So, you know, another characteristic of love addiction or even an anxious attachment, someone that is chronically attracted to an avoidant attachment style is picking people that have substance abuse issues. <laughs> I'm also not, a, I'm not an addiction uh, specialist. I, I am a sober person. I've been sober for six years myself. But even after getting sober, my two big relationships in my 20s, I picked people that were active drinkers. I don't know if I can mention books on here, but one of the books I always recommend to people is called Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody, who is a therapist. That's a big one. She also does, isn't she uh, codependent no more? Uh, She is, I think, facing codependency. I don't think she got really creative. I think Melody Beattie is uh, codependent no more, if I'm correct. Oh, you're right. You're correct. You're correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a hundred percent self-help made. I am the queen of self-help. Well, Hey, look where it got you. Now you're, you're considered an expert on this and, and, and that's pretty huge. So not only did you get to the point where you fixed yourself, but now you are helping fix others. That is a huge leap, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure you already know that. Thank you. Yeah. So in Facing Love Addiction, she does talk about, she addresses codependency and she talks about how um, a characteristic of the avoidant person is they seek intensity outside of the relationship. So a lot of times when you're in a relationship with that unavailable person, you are sensing their unavailability because they're creating intensity outside of the relationship, whether that's cheating or whether that is a substance abuse issue. So that was sort of my experience was, oh my gosh, why do I keep picking these people who have problem with alcohol? What was, what's the quick answer to that? Oh my gosh, putting me on the spot. Um, well, For learning's sake. Uh, you know, there is part of me that, that thinks maybe there's some daddy issues in there uh, to be a completely candid. But also really what I think it is for me is that I have my own unavailability. There, I am afraid of intimacy because of my experiences with intimacy. 
So I pick people who are not going to give it to me. <laughs> I, I want to throw something else in there too, is you were a, a big drinker, right? W- were you an alcoholic? I believe so. Yes. Self-identified okay. alcoholic. Okay. Well, who else would identify it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm serious. I don't know. Like, I guess maybe a doctor, but yeah. So my thoughts would be that, well, of course, if you're a person who likes to drink or you're an alcoholic, you're going to sign yourself up for a relationship with someone who does the same so you can keep doing that. It makes it totally. easy for, for one to do that. So, so my thought is maybe that's another reason why you were ending up with those types of people. What, what were those relationships like? Chaotic. Um, a lot of times I didn't know where they were, right? It was inconsistent. Most of the time, you know, alcoholics don't like to plan things. <laughs> so I didn't really know when I was going to see them. I didn't know, um, you know, if they were going to be sober or not, right? When we when we did end up getting on the phone, or if I did end up, you know, seeing them at their house. Yeah, I love what you said. I don't know. I, maybe I just haven't thought about that in a long time. But I was like, oh wow, yeah. Even if I was sober, right? Even if I was sober and I'm not trying to active drink, like there might be something in my mind that's like, these are my people, right? My people are the the active drinkers. Yeah. So being with someone, you know, that has a problem with drinking is it's really chaotic. It feels like you can't connect, right? It's like this constant battle to to connect, to feel intimacy. And then there's also the really heartbreaking part of, around watching someone struggle, right? Watching someone like be drunk or like the unmanageability of their life. Like uh, one of my sort of big, um, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, someone that I really, really loved and cared about, but was really toxic for me um, you know, didn't have a license because he had had a DUI and, and sort of was dealing with that unmanageability and, and couldn't figure that out. Um, so uh, not just having unmanageability around, you know, that drinking and, and the wreckage that it sort of causes. So then you had some traumatic experiences in those relationships. When did you come to the conclusion that you're like, all right, I think I need to get sober? What was the breaking um, point for you? I was, I was sober, um, at the age of 24. So honestly, to me, it felt like I was struck by lightning. Um, so I'm, I've been talking to you kind of about two different, uh, dramatic, uh, relationships and actually the majority of that was in sobriety. So, um, I think when I met the first one, the first ex-boyfriend, we were both drinking and something had happened where I sort of came to and realized that um, this was chaotic and I got sober in that moment in time, but he did not. And so that was a really big sort of element of our relationship was I'm getting sober. I'm 24 years old, like get sober with me. And, and he wasn't doing it. And then he did actually, I think, get like about a year of sobriety and then he drank again. Um, so my sobriety was sort of separate from my, just because I got sober, it didn't mean that my relationships were fixed. I still had a lot of chaos and drama in my romantic relationships, even though I was sober off of alcohol. Right. Cause I feel like alcohol was just one of the things that was outcome of the fact that you have love addiction. And maybe that was one of the things that came out of it potentially. So just because you got sober is what you're saying. It didn't mean that that fixed it. So I want to hear, so guys can really understand more about what love addiction is in the, in the, in the, like, the practical sense. Like, Give us just a couple of ideas of what does love addiction look like? What are people doing when they have that? What are they feeling when they have that? What are they, what are they feeling when they have that 
with a person in all the different stages? What's that like with like more specific examples? Yeah. So my definition of being any sort of addict is when you lose the power of choice. So let's say you're in a really toxic relationship with a woman. It's just, you're losing your sanity, right? Like you never know if you're going to be together or not, whether they're going to be happy with you or not, but you can't break the cycle. It's on and off again. You've lost your power of choice of whether you want to be with that person or not. And even though you're not happy or your life is like struggling, you can't get out of it. Um, so that's damn. That's that, sounds, sort of how, that sounds scary. It is scary. I, I've been there a couple of times, and I know a lot of people who have been there as well. It's dark. I mean, if you really want to get to like the sort of dark side of it, if you if you watch true crime, I'm a big true crime fan. Like those crimes of passion, right? Like that. I I can understand how people get to that point because it can be really toxic. And there's there's a certain element of like powerlessness in it, I believe. Yeah, totally. So I mean, that's what addiction is, right? It's you're addicted to this dopamine. That's what causes addiction, dopamine, right? Addicted to, you know, cigarettes, drugs, alcohol, love, sex, porn, all that stuff is is very, you're very susceptible to getting addicted to it, especially if you have come from traumatic events as a child. And so then this can play out what you're saying. This plays out in relationships where you become more addicted to the person, maybe addicted to the girl, for example, than really liking her for who she is as a person. Maybe that's involved in it, but it's an addiction to the feeling of what that person gives you. Is that correct? Totally. I, uh, the more that I learn about you know relationships, healthy relationships, and the way that people interact, attachment styles it really has so much to do with us, right? Like my coach always used to say, if he's doing it with you, he's doing it with someone else. So yeah, it really has so much to do with our own sort of psychology and what's going on within us than it does with the other person. And sometimes different people can bring it out in us, right? I I identify as someone that has an anxious attachment style. I know if I'm with an avoidant, it's going to drive me crazy. I'm going to be a crazy person. My partner now is secure and and I've also done a lot of work, but just the way that he moves around in the world is a lot more safe and secure feeling to me than when I am with someone who is an avoidant or is active in their addiction. Okay, so I want some more signs so a guy can can understand if he is feeling love addiction or if he's, we'll even say if he's feeling an unhealthy attachment style. What are some examples of what a guy might be going through or feeling as a way to help him self-diagnose from listening to this episode? So I would say we sort of start with anxious attachment, right? Anxious attachment, you might still have your power of choice. You might be able to walk away from something if it, if it gets too unhealthy for you. The, the literal examples I like to use is, you know, checking your phone a lot. That can be like, I'm sure a lot of people have that, that the phone is a whole other thing, but checking to see if someone is looking at your text, right? Constantly checking uh, if you they have their red receipts on. Uh, stalking people's social media is a characteristic of an anxious attachment. The more toxic examples or unhealthy examples are, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and uh, they block you and you call a hundred times or you show up at their house, right? That's where it starts sort of crossing the line into love addiction is like when you start doing, when you watch yourself do something you know you shouldn't be doing and you can't help it, right? Like, I know I shouldn't be driving to this person's house right now, but like, here I am getting in the car and going over there. And it's like, you just, 
I mean, let's talk about anxiety for a second. And I know I'm preaching to the choir for, I know there's going to be guys listening who have either experienced anxiety or maybe suffer from anxiety. I've had anxiety too at many points. I don't mean like approach anxiety, like you get nervous to talk to a girl. I mean anxiety where you're paralyzed. It's like almost a panic attack, but not a panic attack, right? And I, I say it like that because panic attacks are one thing. Anxiety attacks are one thing. But what about just the anxiety one feels, which is so intense on its own, just even before you get to panic attack, anxiety attack stage, just this uncomfortableness in your body. You're unable to think about anything going on in the moment because you're so caught up in your head. And a lot of people, to tame that anxiety, to come full circle here, might be drinking, might do drugs, or escape in any other way, whatever. You know, that's a lot of times where addictions come from. Again, I'm not an addiction specialist either, but I've read, I've studied things like that. So it's just like that uncomfortable feeling. And the fact that you might have that, or one might have that with a girl, just from the fact that you're like, what are they doing? Who are they talking to? Like, I also know this because I have clients that I work with that I coach that have this anxious attachment. So I have to tell them because I see the signs of it. I'm like, hey, I think you have anxious attachment. And then I tell them, of course, I'm not a psychologist. I really highly recommend. The first sign I see it, I'm like, I think you should be talking to a psychologist. Of course, I can help you too, but seeing a psychologist is going to help with this more deeper issue here. And one of the ways that I see it come out is I'll be texting with a client and they'll say to me something along the lines of, you know, oh, she's not answering her text. I bet you she's with a guy. You know, they're making up all these stories right? Like uh, she's probably doing this X, Y, and Z, all fearing from abandonment. And this will, this will occur after maybe just an hour of the girl not texting them back. Mm -hmm. And then boom, trigger anxiety, abandonment. It's a really uncomfortable feeling. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on it. My first thought is that, you know, I think a certain element of that is always going to be there, right? Like we can't just completely get rid of it. It even when I was dating my partner now, we've been together for almost two years and I still had, a, you know, it's like, is it a, excitement? Is it anxiety? Right. Cause they can feel sort of similar. So I always tell people, you know, the goal is not to get rid of your anxious attachment, right? It's sort of how to manage it, which is another topic, but you know, just throwing it in for myself and what I always recommend people is really somatic things like meditation can go a really long way. And so the other uh, thought I had was that sometimes certain people can bring that out in us. So if, it, if it's an hour, right, we could be like, okay, that might be on you, right? Like an hour is not that long. Let's like chill out for a second. Um, but sometimes it can be a much longer time. It could be um, a six hour, eight hour, maybe a whole day they didn't text you, right? And that could be very anxiety inducing. That's a sort of situation where I would be like, hey, okay, well, just that's more information that you're dealing with someone who's going to go a whole day without talking to you. And does that work for you? Right. So there's a difference between an hour, right? And how do you manage that anxiety while they, and they might text you back right then, you know what I mean? And then that relieves the anxiety. Um, and in that case, if that's the case where, you know, the person is pretty much showing up in a healthy, consistent way, but the anxiety is within you. That, that's where the sort of somatic things come in. And, and really, my suggestion, is, it's, you know, maybe sounds kind of girly, but for me, it always comes down to, to self-love and self-care. No, I mean, it's funny that you say kind of girly, because I know that's not the, that's not the <laughs> conversation that men have, 
you know, but I do say it. I, I actually say it quite a bit here about, you know, loving yourself. I don't know any other better way to put it, you know, but that is the idea, you know, coming down to the idea of self-esteem and, and respecting yourself. So I'm curious, any, you know, if there's guys listening right now who are going through it, like what are some of your tips and what they can do and more specific kind of practical stuff? Like what can they do to help with this? Of course, I, I would always say, you know, see a therapist, um, work with you, but also what can they do on their own? You know, so like I was saying, I think it makes a world of difference if you meditate for five minutes in the morning, not meditate while you're waiting for the text message because you're going to be crazy in that moment. But if you meditate earlier, sort of preemptively, it's going to make a difference later on. And there's lots of different ways that people can sort of practice that. So in terms of the self-love stuff and what to do in that moment is, I'm sure you, you talk about this on your podcast all the time is like, if my life is good, if I'm good in my life, I'm not going to be letting someone else dictate how I'm feeling. So really sort of taking that power back. Yes, I'm interested in this person. Yes, I want them to text me back. I'm working right now. I'm going to work out. I got to go buy groceries, right? Like that's what I mean by self-love and and self-care is like staying in your own lane and being really clear about where you are in that phase of dating. There's a certain level of appropriateness. Uh, we're strangers, we're acquaintances, we're friends, we're intimate, right? There's like, you gotta, you shouldn't skip the steps. And so it is normal for someone to not text you back for three hours on a work day, right? And, and sort of having that voice and being judgmental, but sort of talking ourselves off the ledge and being like, you're fine, right? You have a roof over your head, your head. Uh, you're working right now. If you even need to sort of, I recommend this to clients sometimes when they're really struggling with the text messages is tell yourself you're going to look at it at noon, right? You check it in the morning. Hey, good morning. Hope you're having a good day. You don't check it until the afternoon, right? And then you look at it on your lunch break and then you look at it later at night and sort of have these designated times where you allow yourself to look at it. Just being conscious that it's coming up, right? Oh, I'm, I can't look at it till noon. It's 1140. I've got 20 minutes till I can look at it. There's that thought again. Okay, focus. I'm right now. Where am I? I'm talking to this person. I need to be present, right? And just coming back to what you need to do in that moment. You have a life outside of this person is really what it comes down to. Right. I like that. You have a life outside of this person. And that's, I think, the whole thing is when you don't feel like you have your own thing going on and you just don't respect yourself or love yourself like yourself, you're looking to that other person for all those things. And then it becomes an addiction because they're not there to fulfill that maybe in those moments between text messages or seeing them and you feel like hell. And that's what causes that anxiety. Totally. And tying it into what we were talking about earlier, when I'm in those really chaotic relationships, it's really hard for me to maintain my own life. And the sort of indicator to me that I'm in a happy, healthy relationship at this moment, and I'm not completely deceiving myself, is I've been able to start my own coaching business. I have my friends. I'm earning. You know what I mean? Like When I'm in those really toxic relationships, they're so overwhelming that I start losing those things. I lose my hobbies. I lose my friends. I stop going to work, right? Those are the sort of, you know, is my life manageable? can I sit here and talk to you? And I'm not worried about whether my relationship is going to end tomorrow or not, right? So that's sort of the difference. And feeling the contrast between those two is important. So what else? What else can you tell us about 
this idea of attachment, attachment styles. Maybe give us a little brief overview too, because I know you mentioned the uh, the anxious attachment, avoidant attachment. What's the avoidant attachment and what's a secure attachment? What do those look like? Just so we can reference what that is compared to the anxious attachment, because everyone has a different type of attachment style. Yeah. So the avoidant, you know, like we had said in a more extreme case, uh, the intimacy is too much for them. So they need to create intensity outside of the relationship, whether that's, you know, watching porn constantly or playing video games constantly and not spending time with their person. Oh, another big indicator for the avoidant person is the person who um, shuts down when conflict arises. It's like, it could be a light switch, right? Where as soon as someone, uh, their partner needs something or wants something from them, um, they shut down because they panic and they don't know how to deal with it. And so they, they're the ones that block you, right? And turn the phone off and, and have to, you know, not talk to you for a whole day, which, you know, sometimes can argue, well, they needed space. But when we're talking about a secure person, a secure person actually is able to deal with as they arise. And it doesn't feel like a personal attack to them. It doesn't feel like, you know, they, it doesn't feel suffocating. It doesn't feel overwhelming to them. They, they have confidence in their ability to be reassuring to you and to fix the problem that it has arisen. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So do you still have an an anxious attachment style? Does it switch? Do you still have it? Or now you just have it, you know how to deal with it. I have it. I know how to deal with it. And my partner is less triggering than partners I've had in the past. The Got combination it. of all those things. <laughs> you're picking. You're picking the right people. That's for sure. And, that, and that's. I, I think they said that too. In in that book uh, by who was it? Amir Levine. Yeah, attached. Yeah, attached. He says. Uh, he says it's you. You want to pick someone who's going to be who's not going to trigger you. Who's going to be a good partner for you based on what your your attachment style is. Right. Totally. And I I got to that point. I got to that point where I was so tired you know, this cycle of unhealthy relationships that I said, you know what, then I, 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 that's what the point where I got a coach, right? I was like, I need someone to help me do this. I need someone to help me pick a good person. And, you know, I have an online course right now that is about that, about how do you go about picking a, a good person for you, but also someone that's, you know, hopefully knock on wood going to be healthy in the long run. Um, and what are those signs that you can look for early on so that you don't feel completely, um, you know, like the rug was ripped out from under you three months in when this person is avoidant all of a sudden. Okay, so, so how do we how do we search for that? What are some more signs? Um, so I have to I have to rewire my brain to to talk to the men because usually I'm talking to women. Just um, do your best. We are all we are a great crew of guys listening to this. And we're understanding and we're thankful for you to be here and talk to us about it. So, so you just do your best and we know that you work with women, but yeah, whatever you, whatever you can do here. Well, I think, um, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard you speak and I know that you talk a lot about approaching women, which I really like and, you know, sort of observing their, uh, receptivity, right. And, and hopefully they're receptive and, and pursuing that sort of person. If a man is looking for a woman who is going to be emotionally available or a good partner, I would say really, I, I like when men plan things. I don't know if that's something that you've 
talked about a lot, but saying, Qu- I, I always bit. joke and quite say, quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I always joke and I say, the reason why I'm in the relationship I'm in today is because we met on a dating app, by the way, because he told me what day to meet him, where we were going and what time. Right. And he was one of the only few people who did that. And that's the only reason why we're one of the only reasons we're in a relationship today. The same thing goes for women, right? If there's a woman who, you know, oh, well, I don't know what my schedule is going to be like, right? Okay, what do you do with that? That's not going to be helpful. Or someone that's like, I'm not looking for a relationship right now, if that's what you want, right? It depends on what you're looking for, but making sure that they're aligned. If you want to be in a relationship, being honest about that and asking someone what they're looking for and making sure that it's the same thing. I would say 90% of the people that come to me that have problems in relationships is because, you know, they got into a relationship, a relationship with someone who did not want to be in a relationship. And they, they tried to convince themselves that they were okay with that when they weren't. So just being honest about what it is that you're looking for and paying attention to the nose, right? The unavailability is going to appear like nose. It's going to appear like inconsistency. It's going to appear like flakiness, regardless of gender. Actions speak louder than words, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, All right. Any other thoughts, tips, anything else that you want to share with the guys listening? They're trying to deal with their anxious attachment and and maybe looking for a partner. Anything at all? Yeah, you know, uh, it's fun to 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 come here because I'm dealing with the opposite. I'm dealing with a lot of women who are thinking there are no men out there. Where are the men? Right, and so. There's they're right here. They're world. listening. They're listening to this podcast from from over 150 countries around the world. I okay, sorry. Felt Con- like continue. I, no, I exactly. It, it's crazy. I think that here's the thing. This is a little woo woo, but I I think we sort of get in these paradigms, right? Where like I believe there's no men available, and so there's no men available, right? Or I believe there's no women available, so there's no women available. But when we sort of open our our minds up to it. I I had this really crazy experience when I first started dating my boyfriend. We met on a dating app and I met some of his friends and I found out that he had at least two friends who wanted to be in a relationship and were on the dating apps. And I was like, how did I get here? Like, you know, from F boy land, how did I get over here to like the boys that want to be in relationship land? My my advice or just uh, is that there are women out there that want to have an, that want to be in a relationship um, if that is what you want and you can totally find someone it's just about finding people that are compatible and 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 actually working on those old beliefs right if if you think women only want men with money or you know i asked her out on a date and and she didn't say yes or didn't respond to my message right we get so like worn down by those things, but you kind of just have to be resilient and you have to want to have a healthy relationship more than you want to be with a specific person. Um, because if you do want that, eventually you will, you will find it. That is a quote right there. That was a real, <laughs> that, that really ties it all together. No, I'm serious. So nice. You want to say it again. You, you want to have a, you have your, to want a healthy relationship yes. more than you want to be with a specific person. Yes, you you have to have a yeah, you want to have a healthy relationship more than that addiction. It's, it's the same thing with any addiction, right? It's like alcohol. You know, you desire to have a a healthy relationship with your body more than wanting to get drunk. 
or drink alcohol on a consistent basis or whatever totally. other addiction is is hurting, you know, part of your life, whatever it is that you're doing. Gina, it's so great talking to you today. This was uh, very informative and it's not a topic I talk about too much. So it's great to, to be able to discuss it here on the podcast for guys to understand it and hear about it. If they feel like they need help and they want to work with you, where can they go? I'm assuming you would take a guy on as a client. I think you did say that in the beginning of the episode. Of course. I have had I have had one um, ongoing client who, who was a male and had an anxious attachment style. Um, I get a lot more men in classes. I offer, um, I have a healthy relationship workshop that usually runs every week. And then um, I have an online course, which is mindful dating, but the language is geared towards women. Men can use it as well. But, you know, be wary that I do use (laughs) sort of traditional pronouns. My website is uh, www.theloveaddict.online. And, um, I do like drop in one-on-one coaching sessions as well as ongoing coaching. And then I sort of have my pop-up classes. Um, and I'm also, uh, on TikTok and Instagram, the love addict coach on both platforms. Awesome. Well, we'll put some of that information on our show notes. Gina, thanks for being here and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us and appreciate you being vulnerable and talking to us about your experience with it. I do think that does help. So thanks again. Thank you so much.